It's a powerful, <clears throat> powerful poem. We're going to come back to that poem at the end of the service and kind of repeat it and allow the words to kind of wash over us again. Because the passage we're looking at today uh, is really focused on this idea of the tongue. It's James chapter 3. As you can tell, we're doing something a little bit different, uh, which is kind of the MO around here. We tend to like to shake things up a bit. And uh, so this is Julie. For those of you who don't know, Julie Jones. Julie and I are going to be talking together today and talking about this idea of the tongue. See, all of James chapter 3, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. All of James chapter 3 is primarily focused on this idea of the tongue. In fact, James starts out and says that the tongue is an issue for all of us. Now, he does throw a little caveat in there and says that it's not an issue for those who are perfect. So um, we're just going to start off by saying we're not perfect, and therefore the tongue is an issue for both of us. We're also making the assumption that the tongue is an issue for you. Now, if you're offended by that, I'm sorry. That is meaning that we don't think you're perfect, but that's okay. We still love you. We, we believe that it's an issue for everybody, guys and girls alike, and it impacts all of us. In fact, scientists estimate that on average, one-fifth of our entire life is spent talking. And that's hard to believe. One-fifth of everything you do in the course of your life will be opening and closing your mouth and having words come out. Another statistic says that roughly the average person will speak somewhere between 18,000 and 25,000 words a day, which is enough to fill all of the words on pages of a book about 54 pages long. If you take that to the next step, that in one year, that amounts to 66 800-page books, which equals 52,800 pages of words that we speak in one year. So if you can't wrap your head around that still, take a look over here on this table. This represents the number of words used by you in a given year. So if you flip through this, it's just one small portion and multiply that by thousands and thousands of pages of your words. It's a little bit intimidating. And this is a general comment, but if you're a woman, add a few more books to this pile. <laughs> I mean, when you, when you look at that pile of books and consider the fact that words after words after words are being uttered by you, it can get quite intimidating. But I'm fully confident of the fact that the opportunity for our words being used is only increasing rather than decreasing. Here's what I mean. It used to be that when we would have conversations with people, we would actually go and have a face-to-face conversation at one point. And then if we like, left them, the other thing we could do is like, talk behind their back. But otherwise, that was just basically the mode of communication, face-to-face or behind their back. Then we had, like, the Pony Express came around. We started handing off snail mail, U.S. Postal Service, all of those things happened. We started hooking these devices to our wall. We would grab the receiver. We'd spin obnoxious amounts of numbers. 
to call people on landlines, believe it or not. And then we would even have pay phones. You know, have to carry around change. I mean, some of us would have those like collect calling cards. You'd dial in your like 30-digit number, call somebody, you know, wait for the operator. I mean, crazy, crazy things. So the words and the opportunity for words is only increasing. If you think about it, we have texting, phone, internet, blogging, Facebook, tweeting. We can write comments on other people's blogs. We write and publish our own blogs. We create our own songs, sell them on iTunes. We create our own books, we sell them on Amazon. We create our own videos, we put them on YouTube, they go viral. I mean, the, the possibilities are endless for communication. Not just communication through our words, but communication through our fingertips. That our tongue speaks even through the things we type. Not just on the keyboard, but also on our phone. Last year, 2009, the U.S. alone sent 1.5 trillion text messages. That's in the U.S. alone. Uh, two days ago, I was reading on CNN, and a little study came out that says the average teenager, 13 to 17-year-old, sends 3,300 text messages a month. That's the average. Now, for some of you, that's more. For some of you, that's less. But the reality is that's just a ton of information and data that's being sent. So they did a study. What does that amount to worldwide? They asked that question. Currently, worldwide, there's 75 billion messages, text messages sent per month, which equals 2.5 billion messages sent per day, which comes out to about 29,000 messages per second. 29,000 messages. 29,000 messages. 29,000 messages. You get the idea. It's staggering. And that is just texting. It's not tweeting or any other form of social media. Those numbers are completely overwhelming to me. And what these numbers mean is that although the tongue is a small part of our body, it has the capability and opportunity to either do a lot of good or a lot of damage. Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. As we read James 3, the overarching theme really becomes death and life for others and for ourselves. So as we look at this passage, try and look at it through the lens of death and life. Let's read 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their word, their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever they, the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce, produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Today, as we look at James, think about this idea of death and life are in the power of the tongue. First thing that James kind of highlights is that words are directional. Words are directional, meaning they steer or direct lives, conversations. In uh, verses 3 and 5, James uses a couple of illustrations to make his point. First of all, he says that uh, the tongue is like a, a bit that put in the horse of a mouth can steer or direct the horse whatever direction you want to go. Even though it's a powerful beast, a little tug, and it will be steered. He also uses the illustration of a rudder. So a ship, a massive ship, it doesn't matter how big it is, is steered by a smaller, much smaller object that controls the direction in which the ship goes. What James is getting at is that the tongue, likewise, is used to steer or can be directional. Now, whenever the bit is let go of, or when the, when the uh, person riding the horse kind of lets go of the reins, or when the captain kind of just lets go of the boat, the rudder, when it's out of control, or the bit, when it's no longer being harnessed, what ends up happening is the horse or the ship goes places you never intended to go, simply because you don't have control. And I think that's what James is getting at, is he's saying that the tongue will take us places we never intended to go. So words uttered in anger will have significant impact on friendships. Words that are said in haste at times break relationships. We find that tensions erupt at work simply because of words that are communicated around the water cooler, or in the boardroom, or in the office, or the cubicle. You start uttering words to your spouse that all of a sudden see the direction of your marriage altered. You were heading this way, words were spoken, and now your marriage seems to be heading somewhere else. Maybe you're in a friendship, and you find yourself at a place in it right now that you never intended to be. And yet every time you get together with that person again, the very words that come from your mouth and their mouth continue to steer that life, that relationship, that conversation, places that you didn't intend to go. The text message that you should have never sent, that somehow you think you put LOL at the end and it just erases everything that you just wrote, okay? It doesn't work that way. You sent it. It's gone, and the reality is, these things we say that begin to alter the direction, you can't get them back. We think that you can, but it's so difficult to retract them. Recently, I heard the story of a man who uh, was living in London, England at the time. This was several years back, and uh, he had one of those old-school TVs. Many of you may not no longer have that, but there was an antenna on the top. And uh, he is watching TV and is sitting there and uh, just isn't really excited about anything that's on. And so he grabs the antenna and starts to 
kind of figure out if he can get something better to come in, some other signal. And all of a sudden, he gets this reception, and he starts watching this show. It's crystal clear. And he watches about 30 minutes till the end of the program. And uh, he's so intrigued by the show. It seems kind of out of place. It seemed uh, awkward to him, and, and it was actually from Texas. So what he did is he got on the phone from London. He called the uh, television company in Texas and said, hey, I've got a couple questions about your TV show. I was really intrigued about, about it and, and just wanted to know, like, how often do you show this and can I get more information about the show? And they were baffled. They said, we, we haven't aired that program for over three years now. And so scientists started looking into it, started figuring out, what, how did this happen? And the reality, scientists have known this for years, but what is communicated via radio waves, television signals, even your very words that are uttered, go on an endless journey through space. That the very thing you say now will echo forever. Scientists purport that if we actually had sensitive enough, delicate enough equipment with the strength or power to harness signals that have been sent, that it, in theory we could harness everything that's ever been said or communicated. I mean, if you think about it, your very words could be put on one giant MP3 and you could hit play and listen to everything you've uttered in your entire life. You start to think about it and you go, oh man, once those words come out, there's no getting them back. We tend to think that, okay, well, yeah, Russ, that's great. I mean, you say those words, they're gone. But the reality is we won't most likely ever be able to harness them and be able to play them on an MP3, so I'm not sweating it too bad. Well, here's another interesting little fact for you, especially if you're into Twitter. Um, recently, the Library of Congress just announced that it's archiving all of Twitter. What that means is since its inception in March 2006, Every tweet that has ever been posted is archived digitally at the Library of Congress. Now here's an interesting fact. That means that most of you who never thought you would have anything ever in the Library of Congress, one day your great-grandkids, 50 years from now, will be able to look up your little Twitter account and recount everything you said in the year 2010 that you sent to your friends, that you shot off, little tweets little here and there, jokes that you made, whatever it is that you're tweeting, all digitally archived for your great-grandkids to be able to read. What's fascinating is that words are directional. They steer. They take us places we never intended to go, and they have little or no ability. We have little or no ability to retract them. For example, when my husband Brad was a cute little second grader, he had an unforgettable experience with one of his teachers. Now let me, little disclaimer, I can guarantee Brad was not innocent in the situation. I'm sure he was probably causing trouble or disrupting the class, um, horsing around with one of his friends, and probably not the first offense. He doesn't remember that part of the story. What he does very vividly remember was when his second grade teacher pulled him out into the hall, looked at him, and said, Listen here, you little effer. If you think you're gonna get away with this all year, you have another thing coming. And that was the tame version of what she said. Now, that moment is, it is appalling. It, and it really happened, <laughs> just so we're clear. 
I know a lot of you are teachers in here, and I know none of you guys would say anything like that, but this really happened, and I'm pretty sure, one, Brad didn't wake up the next day really excited to go back to second grade, <laughs> and I can almost guarantee that that moment and those words defined his entire relationship with his second grade teacher, and she lost the ability to impact him in other directions. The rest of his second grade year was a little bit tainted. That's what he remembers at this point. I'm also sure that that teacher didn't wake up that morning saying, you know what, when Brad acts up today, I'm gonna call him this. She may have had a lot of things going on in her life. She may have had 10 kids disrupting the class at that moment. She may have been really frustrated, but whatever the reason or excuse is, it did not change the impact that her words had on Brad, and she can never get them back. So like this situation, the tongue can bring, be very deadly, but it can also bring life. Words can shape entire lives by steering someone in a new direction that is life-giving, which I'm sure the teachers in here do. Paul even goes as far as to say that instead of letting unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, only say things that build others up. In Ephesians 4.29, this is what it says, do not let any unwholesome talk or death come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This is because if we are careful and intentional, the words we say can change lives for the positive. They can bring life and healing, and they can bring joy, and they can build up and encourage, empower and validate, refresh, and they can redeem and reconcile broken relationships. If you're married or in a serious relationship, think back to the first time that your significant other said the words, I love you. Think about how you felt Think about how you felt the first time you said them to them. Or think about when you've wronged your spouse and they say, I forgive you and I love you. And think about the power that those words have. Or, there's a lot of college students in here, maybe you're in a significant relationship. Think about the reason why you haven't said the words, I love you yet. You know that they're powerful. You know that the second you utter them, you will steer your relationship into an entirely new direction more serious and more committed. Words are powerful. Or think of a time when somebody has either deeply hurt you or you deeply hurt somebody else. Think about when the healing process began. More often than not, I would argue that the healing process starts when somebody is able to admit that they were wrong and say that they are sorry. Those simple words can steer a relationship away from destruction and towards reconciliation in life. But it's not just these big monumental moments in our life that our words are important. I think that our words are super important in their day-to-day -day lives. I actually have a really close friend who's here. She's also really humble, so she's probably a little embarrassed that I'm sharing this, but how many of you guys know Katie Boggs? Go ahead and show hands. She is probably genuinely the most encouraging person I've ever met in my life. And it's because of the words that she speaks to others. And if you've held, hung out with her for more than 10 minutes, you know this. And it's genuine and true and sincere. And it doesn't matter what kind of day I'm having, if I'm stressed out, if my kids are acting, whatever it is, when I'm around her, I feel refreshed and encouraged because of what she says to me. And she consistently speaks words of encouragement to everyone around her, and her life is characterized by this. Her words steer and change the daily lives of those around her. It's because our words are directional and will either steer towards death or towards life. We've talked about this idea that words are directional. They're going to steer us towards death or they're going to steer us towards life. But words are also powerful. 
deadly even. In fact, James talks about this. If you look in your Bible, it says here in verse 5, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. The idea that James highlights again in this text is this idea of death. And he uses two more illustrations that kind of speak to that. The first one is the picture of a fire. And he says that by just a small little spark, the most innocent of sparks, great, crazy, wildfires break forth. Acre upon acre upon acre is consumed simply by the smallest of sparks. He also uses this illustration to show that something small grows, it builds, it continues to grow. And he uses the illustration of poison. A small little drop of poison entering into the bloodstream begins to grow and build, and the effects can lead to death. The smallest of amounts of poison can begin to greatly affect the whole life. And if you think about it, that's the way it is with gossip or with slander. You utter the words, They begin to steer the direction. You can't take them back. And what happens is they begin to grow. The smallest of words gets uttered, and all of a sudden, this spark becomes a raging fire. Or this poison that seeped into the bloodstream begins to paralyze the whole system. And because of their power, words have a great ability to injure. And I think it's easy to sit here and think about the influence of our words and how they injure others, but what we don't want to admit is how the wor- our own words injure us. As men and women, the words we tell ourselves can oftentimes be the worst thing we say in a day. This summer, Brad and I went to the lake with our friends Kevin and Grace, you guys know them, and there's some other people there, and we, we got up there late and ate a late dinner, hung out, built a campfire, and then decided, it's about nine o'clock, decided to put our kids down. Well, any parent would know that this is going to be an absolute disaster from the start because they're excited to see everyone. We're in a new place. We've got a campfire going that they're super pumped about, and they're not at all tired. But we decide to go forth anyway. So we put them up into their beds, which is in a loft, and they're laying down on the floor at, at, the, at the same level as a window that's open where they can see us and hear us 20 feet away from them. <laughs> right. So for the next hour, Brad and I go back and forth getting water, I don't know, going to the bathroom, just any excuse that they can think of, looking at the start, I don't know. So meanwhile, our friends who are there all have little kids as well who have been asleep for hours, not making a peep. So I, at first I thought this situation was kind of funny, and then as time went on, I started to get a little self-conscious thinking, they've got to think we are the worst parents, we have no control of our kids, our kids won't listen to us. My ability, I am just, I am an awful parent. <laughs> this is awful. So then, my natural response is to start making jokes about it and be sarcastic, saying things like, 
I am such a good parent. If you guys need any advice on how to get your kids down, come to us. We're thinking about writing a book about it. We are, we're just real, we've got this whole thing down. <laughs> Don't think much of it, go to bed, think, but still these thoughts have started to take a little bit of root. So the next morning, Kevin comes over and says, you know, Julie, I know what you were saying last night, you were joking around, but, but I also know that you thought that there was some truth to those and it's not true. You and Brad are great parents and you're doing a great job. And instantly, the lies that I was telling myself dissipated. And I started thinking, you know what? That is dangerous. I, I am a good parent, and it was a really powerful moment to me. I realized a lot about myself. And I think this situation happens all the time to us. I know in this room, I can guarantee there's people looking for jobs and have been looking for jobs. And interview after interview is wearing, and rejection after rejection is wearing. And we start to say our things to ourselves like, maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe I'm not good enough. There must be something wrong with me. Maybe I'm wasting my time. Or maybe it seems like everyone around you is dating somebody or getting married at this moment. And you start saying those same things. I must not be good enough. I must not be pretty enough. There must be something wrong with me. Why does everybody else have somebody in their lives? And the more you say this, the more you start to believe it. Or women, just specifically towards women, maybe you deal with this too, men, I'm not sure. but. What, what is your first response when somebody gives you a compliment? I know for me, after you have a baby, a lot of people comment on your weight. It's kind of a funny thing. <laughs> so like three months, and it, they give you a little bit. They start about three months after you've had the baby. So a lot of people will come up and say, hey, you're looking great. You've lost so much. Your baby weight's almost gone. You know, just all these comments. And my initial response is always like, ugh, whatever. I have so much farther to go. I, soft. I'm never going to get back to where I used to be. Like, and I just start telling myself all these things. And these comments seem like innocent enough comments, right? But they're not. They very quickly can lead towards destruction. I actually have a close friend who started telling herself those exact things, and it started off small, but the more she said it, the more she believed it. And it eventually led to a really unhealthy eating disorder that she dealt with for years. The words we are telling ourselves are powerful. They can be destructive. We keep telling ourselves things that we keep believing and they start off small and innocent, take root, and they soon build to define you. I would imagine that if each of us took a moment <clears throat> and just thought of some of the things we've been telling ourselves lately, we would realize that the power of words to injure us. So often we will speak lies to ourselves that we would never speak to someone else, and yet we begin to subtly believe we're not adequate enough, we haven't been created the way that God intended to create us, that there must be something wrong simply because of the way things are. And you begin to believe it, and then it begins to take root, and then it begins to define you. See, words have the power to injure. They injure us. But words also have the power to injure others. We know that this is true. In fact, the Bible speaks to this idea over and over. In fact, this is what it says um, in some of the Proverbs. If you were to take a list and you were to look at it, it would look like this. The Bible refers directly or indirectly to the tongue being wicked, deceitful, lying, perverse, filthy, corrupt, bitter, angry, crafty. The list goes on and on. Almost every reference to the tongue speaks to the impact 
that the tongue has on others. I mean, it not only has the ability to injure us, it truly has the ability to injure other people. And I want to say this. This is a little side thought that I think is significant for us. Written words are as powerful and can be as damaging as spoken words. I, I really think there's a growing trend in our society to try to distance written words from spoken words. What I mean is, we find it very easy to communicate something we want, we type it up, we write it down, we gotta get it off our chest, we shoot it out in an email, we post it, we do whatever we need to do to get rid of it, and it goes to someone else, and we go, okay, well that's done with. And there's this distance between us that allows us for some reason to speak words onto the keyboard or into the phone send them, and because of that distance, we just kind of brush it off and don't think anything else about it. But those words injure. Those words hurt. I mean, there are things that we say on our text or in our email that we would never, ever say face to face. The distance of cyberspace somehow allows me, I would never express my feelings the way that I do. I would never say some of the things I do that I can so quickly hit send and they're out there. I mean, I, I have a file folder at home in my drawer where I keep letters I've gotten. Four page letters telling me what an a-hole I am. Or letters that speak to the idea, emails that I have recorded, uh, phone messages that just speak to the idea that you are the worst soccer coach ever known to man. It is impossible that someone would be worse at coaching. In fact, maybe I should just take over for you. Signed, your like, you know, son's mom or something. You know, you get the idea. Um, <laughs> said that the wrong way. So, all these, seriously, crazy, crazy emails that you send, and the reality is we just go, it's over and done with. I had to get it off my chest. It's no big deal, right? And those words actually are lasting. People keep them. They look back on them because these words that we say are powerful. They have the power to injure us, and they have the power to injure others. Not only are words directional, not only are words powerful, the last point is words are you. Words are you. What I mean is that you cannot separate you from your words. You can't. I mean, last week, Rob spoke to this idea that uh, James talks in chapter 2 that you cannot separate your faith from your actions, or your actions from your faith. It's impossible. James carries that thought into chapter 3 and basically says, listen, you can't separate your words from you. It's impossible to do it. That whatever flows from your lips, whatever gets typed into your keyboard or into your phone, those words represent you. 
Jesus speaks to this idea. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, or out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That what you end up saying, what comes off of your tongue, is just a multiplier of what is in your heart. That what you say is a reflection of you. I think to some degree we subconsciously realize this. So we find our own solution and we put up a little filter. We say one thing around somebody and a different thing around somebody else. And I'm totally guilty of this. I have a very pure filter around my girls. I am very intentional. I feel like what I say is impacting them and shaping their little lives. And I'm trying to say just words of encouragement and life to them. But as soon as I close that bedroom door, it's like all is fair game. So I have one filter around my kids, one around my husband, one around my friends. When I was in college, I had one around my non-Christian friends, one around my Whitworth friends. And it just goes on. Or, this sounds really petty to say out loud, but we've all done it. So, have you ever been over to somebody's house, friend, somebody you just met, and had a great time, you're maybe even really intentional, you're thinking, I'm gonna build this person up, I'm gonna encourage them, you speak these really great words of life, you get in the car to leave, and as soon as you close the door, you'd start talking to your friend about all the things that drove you crazy about them, and could you believe they did this, and could you believe they parented that way, and could you believe you? I mean, in, you start saying all these awful things. You turn the filter on in front of them and off away from them. Or in other words, you spoke life and then spoke death. Now, the words of life that you speak, those are you. But when you speak words of death and destruction of any kind at any time, those words are also the overflow of your heart and those words are you. What James is getting at is this idea that words are really not inconsistent with you. In fact, he asks several rhetorical questions. If you look back in the text, James says in uh, verse 11, does a sp spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? The answer, obviously, is no. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? The answer is is no. Or a grapevine produce figs? The answer again is no. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Again, what he's saying is that the tongue is not inconsistent. It's revealing you. So if you utter words of anger, this I, I, I feel like we do this often. Like we, we say something, we just got to get it off our chest. We say it, get it out there, and then we go, man, where did that come from? That couldn't, like, I don't really, that's not me. I mean, that was just a once. No. Listen, if anger flows out of you, guess where it came from? In you. If words of life are coming out, it's because it's in you. If words of death are coming out, it's because it's in you. It's because it's in us. I mean, what James is getting at is the things that flow out, flow out because they're already present in us. So we have to ask ourselves the question today. If we look back and we say, okay, words are directional, they're steering us. Words are powerful, they're injuring us and others. And now words are truly us. We have to ask ourselves, who are we? And what type of words are we truly communicating? We have to ask ourselves that question, I believe. And we also are probably asking the question, okay, so now that you have told us for a while that words are all of these things, and we realize from the text that none of us are perfect, and wild beasts can be tamed, but we can't tame the tongue, 
I mean, you're basically just saying there's no hope and have a good day. And that's not what we're saying, and that's not what James is saying either. Because if you start to look in verses 13 to 18, and just because of time, we're not going to read through that whole section. But if you look in verses 13 to 18, what James does is he gives us the solution to the poison of the tongue. And James says that the solution is the wisdom of Christ. What James does is he highlights two primary types of wisdom. The first wisdom, he says, is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. Then he contrasts it by saying that there is a wisdom that comes from above. There is a wisdom that is actually the mind of Christ residing within us. The point he's getting at in this section is that, that we can have access to this wisdom. In fact, in James chapter 1, he talks about it in two particular areas. First area is in the first part of James 1. He uh, alludes to this idea that when you need wisdom, you can ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So James here in chapter 3 is alluding back to this promise in chapter 1 and saying, if you lack wisdom, if you need control, if you are not having the ability to harness your tongue, then you need wisdom. And wisdom is available to all. And if you ask, you shall receive, is what he's alluding to. The other idea he's alluding to is the one at the latter part of chapter 1, where he says that this gift is from above. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Again, he's alluding to the idea that the wisdom that you ask for is coming from above, it's coming from Christ, and it is a gift. It is a gift of God, is it a gift of grace extended to us. What James is speaking to in this idea is that wisdom can be asked for And wisdom can be acquired from above, and we can have access to the mind of Christ. In reality, he's saying that the very wisdom that he describes here is the wisdom that can be translated into our life. This is how he describes it in verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. James is saying that if you allow the mind of Christ to become the very words that you speak, that if you allow His words to flow through you, that means that your speech will be defined as He defines the wisdom here. That means that your speech will be pure. Wouldn't it be Amazing to realize that the things that flow out of our mouth are pure, purity. That they are peaceable. That they are gentle, full of mercy. That there's good fruit, that there's impartiality, that there's sincerity. That all of those things are flowing from us because the mind of Christ is residing in us. The last phrase he uses here in verse 18 says that the harvest of this righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That our words can actually have the power of peace or the power of life to everyone we speak them to when we allow the wisdom of Christ 
can be the very thing we express. So this true wisdom, this pure wisdom that comes from above is the thing that counters the tongue. So as James says, let's be quick to listen and slow to speak. And as we walk out of here a little later today, um, we don't want you to be hanging your heads and frustrated. We want these words to encourage you. So we thought we'd give you a couple of tangible applications. Um, one, maybe as you sat here, you realized that there's somebody that you need to speak some words of life to. Maybe you need to apologize. Maybe you need to just encourage them. Maybe you see something that you just want to tell them that they're doing a great job in. We have set out some cards on the table in the foyer, and you can go ahead and write them a note. And I encourage you to do it now so you don't forget. Go in your car and just sit down and take two minutes and write them a note. Or maybe those things that you're thinking that you need to say is to somebody in this room right now. And again, I want to encourage you, before you leave, don't pass up the opportunity. Go and speak words of life to them right now. Or if you have your bulletins, um, go ahead and take out that tongue depressor that was in there. Do you guys have that? Anybody? Um, this is simply to serve you as a reminder that we are trying to depress and control our tongues. So take it, stick it on your mirror, stick it in your car, stick it in your pocket, wherever it will remind you daily that your tongue is powerful and that you can either steer towards death or towards life. So whatever of those you choose, or maybe there's some other particular way in which you sense you need to utilize the mind of Christ to speak words of life, do it. Don't, don't let words come in one ear and out the other. As James says earlier in chapter 1, be doers of the word, not hearers only. And let me remind you one last time of the verse that kind of is the one that is overarching for everything we covered in James chapter 3. It's found in Proverbs 8.21 again, or 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. May we be people that speak power of life. Let's pray.